is Interfaith Talk Radio being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, and you can find us streaming worldwide on the Internet at interfaithtalkradio.com. We are continuing a weekly dialogue on interfaith understanding and the celebration of our shared spiritual quest. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I am Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church in Seattle. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle. And we are inviting you to join with us in a deepening conversation on issues of concern to our faith communities and to our spiritual quest. You might want to write down our phone numbers in the event you will feel called upon to call during this hour. Our local number is 425-373-5527, or you can call toll-free in Western Washington an 888 number. 298-5569 and you can find more information about us even see what we look like these days at our website interfaithtalkradio.com we invite you to visit there find out more about us and leave us your comments let us know you've been out there lurking and listening and giving thought to the material that we get to share. One of the things that makes this special is our ability through this show to bring special guests. And we have such a guest with us in a few moments. We will be introducing Ari Cowan. And we're going to be focusing this hour on issues of violence. And perhaps looking at why it is that even though at the heart of each of our traditions peace is an enduring and abiding value even though oneness and love and compassion are the rocks upon upon which our traditions rest and grow and flower even though all that's true, the amount of violence which expresses in the name of faith is tremendous. It's huge. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. If I had to choose one verse from the Quran which maybe pinpoints... Uh, one of the many reasons why we are violent, I would choose this one verse which we have repeated here several times where the Quran says that because of all these conditions and situations and particularly feelings of fear and anger and hatred, uh, the verse is, it's not that their eyes have become blind, their hearts have become blind. And when hearts have become blind, then number one, we do not come from a place within us that is natural, that is integral. Uh, that is primordial because the Quran says that the human being is fitra, which means essentially, primordially, 
uh, noble, very good. Uh, yet, the human being also has the slinking whisperer in the heart. In, in, in every human being is a slinking whisperer. But the basic nature is very good, meaning that this tendency towards violence is something which is conditioned. It's not that we are violent beings working to become peaceful. We are peaceful beings, essentially, that because of these life circumstances and the environment, we learn to be violent and because of certain conditions. This is the basic teaching of the Quran. Hmm. And I think I was thinking, as you were speaking, Jamal, that, that violence is certainly a part of Scripture and our traditions from the very beginning. Um, even in the mythic uh, traditions of the, the creation story, of course, the story of Cain and Abel uh, um, gives us a, a picture of a violent act. Um, and so that, that violence is, is conveyed as a fact of human life. Of course, it's, it's also uh, an illustration of failure, sometimes of what we might call the failure of, of the spiritual life, um, which we three feel, in other words, that interface spirituality could have political and social consequences in terms of violence and personal consequences. Um, it also seems that throughout human history, at least since we've been able to make choices, that there's been a, a sense that violence can solve problems. Mm -hmm. that, that's what um, one theologian calls the myth of redemptive violence. And so I'm, I'm eager to hear what Ari has to say because I, I think this is a very important message for us. So I'd like to introduce Ari Cowan, who starting in the 1960s in his resistance to the Vietnam War and to serving in that war has been active on a personal level responding against violence and realizing his own um, antipathy toward violent expression and then starting in the 1990s in 1994 really bringing that um, thrust into a, a way of life and a teaching. So Ari, we're going to welcome you and let you talk a little bit about the nature of your work. Great, thank you. So talk a little bit about the nature of your work. <laughs> well, the nature of my work is I, I'm referred to as a theorist and my, my theory about that title is it literally means uh, to be unemployable in any, and to be employable in any other way. So you sit around and dream up theories. And one of the ones I dreamed up, or dreamt up, was uh, this new model to violence, which is a counter to the traditional sort of punitive model that we've been using for over 13,000 years, ever since the uh, agricultural uh, move where we went from hunter-gatherers to the agricultural uh, environment. And this new model is called the Violence Integrative Prevention and Restoration Model. It's, for short, they call it the PAR model. And it's based on a public health foundation. And it is the really core um, concept that Advita Institute in Bellevue is founded on. And Advita uh, provides professional training and is uh, doing work with uh, prisons and uh, in international settings and so on, applying this model to uh, help end violence. And maybe a little later we'll talk about just how effective the model is. But it's a really radical departure uh, from what we're used to seeing. And yet people, who, when they go to the core of the scriptures of the world's great religions, will find 
exactly what we're talking about uh, in them. And that is when, when Jamal was talking about uh, the Qurans, talking about the nobility of human beings. Well, the model seems to confirm that and recognizes uh, uh, violence as a malignancy, as a thought form that has to do with power. And the experience of powerlessness, what we recognize is that truly powerful people aren't violent. And uh, that's very consistently accepted by um, uh, uh, people uh, from the World Health Organization to the Centers for Disease Control to the U.S. Department of Justice that violence is a strategy to get power and control. We have to ask ourselves, well, then, what's the power that appears to be missing? And that's, that's really at the core of my work. So I'm finishing a book called Violence and the Alchemy of Being, which should be done in a few months, uh, followed by another book called Acts of Courage, Acts of Cowardice, America and the Culture of Violence, which is basically a book about what does a country that's made up of peoples uh, from everywhere, every corner of the world, who coincidentally has to be the most, happens to be the most uh, powerful country, what does it do in this culture of violence? So that's, that's it in a nutshell about what I've been working on. I can't think of any more important work. So we're glad to have this opportunity to invite you to share with us and with our listeners. And when we come back from our break, we're going to ask you a little bit about how specifically your model differs from what you refer to as punitive responses to violence. And to look a little bit at the rather remarkable impact that your training has had with people in prisons as well as elsewhere. You're listening to Interfaith Talk Radio. We're with you every Monday from 5 to 6 here on 1150 AM. And we'll be back after some words from the sponsors who allow us to talk to you. So please give them an ear. And I'd like to remind you that if any others of you would like to support us, become sponsors yourself please let us know you can drop us a line through the website we'll be right back Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org slash index.php. We wish you blessings for your life. Do you suffer from stress, headaches, back pain, digestive pain, or other chronic problems? Allow Sue Woodward to help you realize the vitality and wholeness your body naturally wants to express using gentle, restorative methods. Sue invites you to call her at the Acupuncture and Healing Arts Clinic for a free consultation. 425-451-8129. That's 425-451-8129. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. 
For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206-524-2322. That's 206-524-2322. Are you ready for the 12-minute Simone's Own Miracle? Transform any self-defeating internal images into spectacular masterpieces of happiness and success in only 12 minutes. The Simone Zone is a revolutionary empowerment technique that uses cutting-edge audio-visual technology. Get ready to shift negative energy and change it to positive energy now. Visit thesimonezone.com and try this free technique. That's thesimonezone.com. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to discover what's preventing you or your business from obtaining your goals, dreams, and vision. The Inquiring Mind is your partner. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. as Stephanie Durham, professional life coach, presents ACES. Authenticity, choices, empowerment, and success. Spanning 25 years of successful business tenure, in addition to over four years of training with Caroline Mace at the CMED Institute, Stephanie's authenticity and vast knowledge helps you objectively explore wise choices with her finely attuned facilitator skills, leading you to personal empowerment and ultimate success. Do you know you have power to create what you want in your life and in business? You do. This message will self-absorb in five seconds. Call us toll-free at 1-866-461-6463. Remember, you're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. The music you're hearing as we left for that break and now as we're coming back is from a band called Life's Other Side. It's a country band and our own pastor Don McKenzie is the lead singer on the song you're hearing and he is on the bass. He's a star. So we have not so hidden talent in and we're back talking about violence. I don't know what exactly the relationship between your singing, Don, is and violent behavior, but... Don't go there. Okay. <laughs> and we're talking with Ari Cowan, who is the head of a group called Edvita and has developed a model for working with violence that's called the PAR model. And Ari, we'd like to talk a little bit about what specifically makes this training different from all other trainings, um, how it works. Uh, good question. We're trying to figure that out ourselves a bit. Um, it really comes down to that human beings describe reality to themselves with language. They talk to themselves and they talk outside. So if I'm, if I'm back six centuries ago and I get a cut... And, uh, and they say, well, that was caused by that infection you got. That's caused by devils. So I'm going to go to the, to the uh, priest in my village, and, who seems to be pretty good with devils, and, and see if I can get that taken care of. And either I'll die from the infection, in which case I probably won't file a complaint, or I'll, I'll get better and we'll, I'll say, what a terrific priest knows his stuff. So the language and the reality, what we call construct uh, for that, uh, 
is different than if you're saying, well, what if it were microbes? There's no room for microbes under that, that type of approach. And what I'm saying in my model is I think we may have been thinking that violence was caused by devils. Hmm. And that we need to look at it in the acid test, uh, look at it in a new way. And the acid test is its efficacy. And so what I've done with my thinking is said to myself, how have I been describing violence? And what are the words I've been associating with it? And my work, a lot of my work was in the public health arena. So I started there. And then when I had this sort of episode of realization, I had to build a new language to describe uh, how this works. And so we have a whole vocabulary. We talk about the universal field, which people in faith-based traditions will recognize immediately what that is. That's all things, all creation at all times and all potentialities, and how we extract information out of that universal field and build a construct that is a way of seeing the world, a way of seeing reality. And that construct has certain rules. And one of them is that you, you need to be sane in that construct. Everything has to work. And uh, for people who are violent, uh, they, have, they have their construct built in such a way that allows for violence. One of the observations I made is people don't commit acts of violence against people in my, my experience. They commit them against objects. They have to com- convert those people into objects, and they use language. And so instead of uh, uh, using your name, they may call you a leftist or a Republican or a terrorist or a... Uh, Nazi or whatever else you use and you can commit an act of violence against an object. It's very hard to commit one against uh, a human being. So so there's a whole cycle about how that happens. And secondly, if you begin looking at it as a disease, you can start mapping how it moves, what we call vectors of transmission. So when they had these uh, riots in Paris recently over the Muslim youth who uh, felt so disempowered and then Mr. Sarkozy had made a comment, uh, uh, the French minister, about how they were such terrible losers and everything. We were able to calculate within four minutes when the violence would erupt because we knew it would take so long to go out through the media. They would have the experience of being disempowered. They would get organized, and then it would flare. It has certain characteristics like any disease does. And interestingly is that it uh, sustains itself by, um, uh, through fear. And so when we separate out the behavior from the person and identify what the basic uh, fear issue is and address that, the violence seems to stop completely. And uh, give me an example of how you do that. There's, yeah, that's, I've been thinking about ones that might be good. The, 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 I, we use an, uh, uh, a four-step process, but two key steps are. Is one is we invalidate unhealthy power and immediately swap it out with healthy power. So I'll give you an example. Um, talking to a, um, a biker who's four inches taller than me, tattooed, comes up and says, so you're the smart guy that came up with this. And I'm doing what's called interactive mapping with him. I'm looking at what I can pick up physically, emotionally, mentally, environmentally, and spiritually from this guy to see what's, what's the power issue going on. And I'm mapping quite quickly because he's really large. And he says, so you think you're pretty darn smart. Uh, and he says, you know, I could take your frigging head off, or words to that effect. And, and he says, and in fact, I think I'll do it right now. And I've mapped him, and I'm thinking, this better work. And I, so the first thing is to invalidate the power issue. Why is he doing this? If, as, as Jamal says, uh, uh, 
what the Quran says is true, which I believe is true, then he's not a bad person, but he's feeling powerless. So when he made that statement, that I, I think I'll do it right now, I said, what? Yeah, that's no achievement. There are four-year-old girls that can do that. I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy. The 80% of the American population could take my head off. And he was startled by that. And I, so I did the reframe where I said, thank gosh, if that were a real threat, uh, I've got somebody like you here who has the wherewithal and the strength to stop anything like this. You know, this violence has been feeding on us and using us and preying on us, and enough's enough. Guys like you are really important. I bet you could, I bet you could shut that down if somebody tried to do that to me. Am I right or am I wrong? There's a double bind. Uh, what's he going to say? No, you're, you're right, I'm, 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 or you're wrong, I'm quite wimpy. Excuse me, I apologize and leave. He said, yeah, I could probably stop anything. I said, I bet you could stop anything from going south in this whole room. And he said, yeah, I think so. And I said, do you get it all how important you are to hmm. other human beings? We need people like you that just say, you can't get me. I'm too big, I'm too uh, uh, strong, and I'm too in the know. And he said, do you want anything to drink? <laughs> okay, because I, re I, he, he, I didn't see him as the enemy. I saw him as someone who has been power starved. Okay, so let's work together. It's as though you watch somebody who's dying of thirst and say, you're misbehaving because you're dying of thirst, so we need to take the water away. Well, no, it's exactly counterintuitive to what we're used to. We give them power. When I went to the Department of Corrections to suggest this, I got quite a reaction from the uh, secretary, something on the order of, you want me to do what? Mm. So I had, had to explain to him that I wasn't saying let them out the front gate. So, but that's a, that's a yeah, thank good you. example. So, all right, when you, when you um, use the phrase power starved, is that another way of talking about the person's own sense of, in this case, his self-worth being so low that, you know, that, that, that you as another human being can actually him, empower him, so mm -hmm. to speak, to walk away from that sort of violent mode to feel better about himself in a way that really is empowering and not patronizing or something like that. And so he responds, he doesn't really have any choice except to respond positively to your overture. I think, you know, Don, I think that is a part of it. What, what, what I think a big part of it is, is helping people recognize the power they've already got and how there is an illusion of powerlessness. I go into grade, uh, or, or into high schools and I, I like to start by asking all the kids, uh, well, those of you who are stupid, please raise your hands. Mm. And I get a few up and then I say, well, I hold up three fingers and I say, what's this number? And they say three. And I say there are over 2,000. Uh, spe species immediately accessible to us that are considered to have intelligence named five that can do that. And amoeba are stupid. Uh, human beings aren't. If, you're, you're, if you can speak English, English is a terribly difficult language. You're doing amazing. So it is reframing and pointing out the power they already have because we're highly cooperative. If you think about who we are as human beings, we're somewhat laughable. We're not very fast. We're the only species that has to wear artificial skin in the form of our clothing. <laughs> uh, dogs and cats, I am convinced, laugh about us behind our backs. You know, there are canine teeth, which are just so unimpressive. We have no upper body strength to get into the trees. We don't stink bad enough to keep anybody away. We have no quills. My thought is we're probably a major food group by, for a lot of other animals <laughs> for a long time. Our strength lies in our ability to cooperate and our ability to communicate and we know it and so power that power of belonging that power of identity 
is enormously important to us. And I think this is when we get uh, violence with religious groups is because identities have been threatened and that they have the experience of that power being pulled away. If we recognize that and then know how to respond to what we call in the public health arena the risk factors, we notice that the violence just plummets. You know, it strikes me, Ari, when you spoke to this man who, was, who appeared threatening and you came from this position of centeredness and empowering the other person, uh, in a sense, I would say, you know, as, as Prophet Muhammad said, you had moved from a knowledge of the tongue to a knowledge of the heart. You came, you came from a place of sincerity. Yes, you sincerely sure. believe that there is goodness in this man. Yes, and that's the challenge, Jamal. It is uh, the two things we talk about in the PAR model are the attention, what are you paying attention to, and what is your intention. People think that because I came up with this model, I don't get hooked. And I point out, precisely why do you think I came up with the model? Is I get hooked all the time. And so when I can get that ground, and uh, people talk about respecting other people, uh, having respect for them. I think when I can move to having reverence for them, then I'm on a good foundation and I can react in that way that you talk. And, and it is, it is an, uh, completely an issue of everything else being in service to the heart, the mind and everything else. Now, one of the things that concerns me as I listen to you is that it seems to me that a lot of violent behavior emerges when somebody becomes reactive. Um, and it, it, just like the anger that arises in me, it's not a conscious arising. So it may well be at that moment what I'm feeling is powerless, but I don't know I'm feeling powerless. All I know is there's a rage that pops up. And I'm fortunate because uh, it doesn't pop up in, through violent behavior, and it's likely that I'm small enough and not strong enough so that that's just not the way it's going to pop up. Maybe it'll pop up through verbalization. And so one of the questions is you're dealing with somebody at that moment who is in reactive mode, and it's one of the more difficult times to communicate with that person. We're going to come back with uh, looking at dealing with people in their reactivity, dealing with ourselves in our reactivity, um, uh, as soon as all of us get to listen to some of the messages of our sponsors. This is Interfaith Talk Radio, Don McKenzie on the bass, and we'll be right back. People who come to a Unity Church feel like they've come home. We invite you to one of the many great Puget Sound Unity Churches in Bellevue, Edgewood, Kent, Linwood, Seattle, or Woodenville. For links to these Unity Churches and others, visit unity.org. We welcome you to join us at Unity of Woodenville. Visit unityofwoodenville.org. Kirk Pipkin joins the Dr. Pat Show, introducing his new documentary, Nobelity, combining the insights of nine distinguished Nobel laureates. This documentary features conversations with these laureates and gives their insight into the world's most pressing problems and possible solutions. 
powerfully motivating, Pipkin's journey across the world reveals how one person can change the world, and every person has the opportunity to do so. For more information, please visit nobelitythemovie.com or call 1-800-424-2593. The Empowerment Partnership. Empowering the lives of thousands of people around the world just like you. Their mission is to empower you with an understanding of what makes you and others tick and to teach you the tools and techniques that will unlock your hidden gifts. The Empowerment Partnership. Whatever you think you are, you're more than that. To learn more, call 1-800-800-MIND or go to www.nlp.com. Mention the Dr. Pat Show to receive a special discount. Hi, I'm Deborah Tracci of Heart Ignited. Do you know your life's purpose? Why do you think knowing will assist you? I'm a life and transition coach who will be featured on the Dr. Pat Show from December 7th through Valentine's Day 2007. I am giving away a Heart Ignited Essence Statement one-on-one coaching package worth over $700 to a selected listener. To submit your answers, go to heartignited.com, click on the contact page, and enter your answers in 300 words or less to these questions. Do you know your life's purpose? Why do you think knowing will assist you? Submit no later than January 3rd, 2007. Again, the website is heartignited.com. Listen for my Heart Ignited tips right here on the Dr. Pat Show. And don't forget to visit my website at heartignited.com. Are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basili will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crustbusting. Listen to the Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on www.thedrpatshow.com. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. In Columbus, Stockade, my friends have turned their back on me. And we're really not a country radio show, but we get to listen to Don McKenzie, our Christian pastor on the Interfaith Talk radio show, to his band uh, called Life's Other Side, a country band that he plays bass in or guitar. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon. I'd like to welcome you back to the show and remind you that my community, Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue, is one of the sponsors of Interfaith Talk Radio. So I get to invite all of you who are interested or curious to share this Friday evening in a meditative Hanukkah Shabbat. Hanukkah begins this Friday. It's the first candle. Uh... December 15th, we meet at 7.30, and I would invite all who would like to see what it's like to find directions and further informations, information at our website. You can find us at jewishspiritualcommunity.com, jewishspiritualcommunity.com. That way you don't have to worry about how to spell Beit Aleph. And we're here on Interfaith Radio. I'm the rabbi. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman, the Muslim. <laughs> and I'm Pastor Don McKenzie, the Christian. And we've got Ari Cowan with us. 
he is the one being interviewed and talking about violence and what are some of the in, in innovative ways that he has developed with his group called Advita, offering programs to counter violence in far more effective ways than has been done before. And the question with which we entered into our break had to do with responding to someone who in, is in a moment of reactivity and in a sense has lost their mind. Well, it's a really good question, and it is, as you say, quite uh, challenging. Uh, basically, in the model, we divide uh, the human experience up into five bodies, which are the physical, the emotional, the environmental, uh, the mental, and the spiritual. And we know uh, in the physical body, there is a whole organism for uh, uh, managing uh, things like this called the brain. And actually, the brain can be punctuated into three parts. The oldest part is the reptilian system, the R system, which is really the reactive uh, part of the brain. The limbic system is central in the brain. It's an organizing part of the brain, but it also uh, involves emotion. And then we have the most recent development uh, in the brain, which is the neocortex. One of the things we do in our faculty training is that we point out that people move the locus of control moves to those different brains. And when people are reactive, they've kicked back into that R system. So one of, of our objectives is to uh, create an environment where they can move out of that quickly. And that means uh, safety, that means listening, that means nullifying any um, extreme outbreak of uh, violence, which may involve a restraint or something like that if you have to have police and so on. But again, you go back to when I was talking with Jamal about the ground, where are they coming from? So the idea is to move people out of their R system back into the higher center so that things can work. And that's part of the mapping we do is one of the questions we ask is, where are they? Are they in the survival mode? Then reasoning with them does not work. They absolutely cannot hear what's going on. And when we talk about vectors of transmission, we talk about those five bodies. We also talk about vectors of healing. For example, if you're in a prison and you may, you may talk to someone who's murdered somebody and you ask them, well, how do you feel about what you did? And very often you'll get, um, I don't really feel much of anything. And we can be horrified and righteous and say, what an unfeeling brute. That, that person must be evil. Or we can say, well, obviously the emotional body's comatose. It's a little bit like going to the hospital and seeing someone in a coma and saying, I'd like to talk about our relationship. Oh, there you go again. You're so non-communicative. Well, they're in a coma. And what happens is you vector in through healthy bodies. That's the success of uh, Buddhists and Christian and Muslim and other faith-based initiatives in prisons because the spiritual body is relatively intact and they'll go down through that body begin working with that body and then it'll uh, spread to the other bodies and after a certain number of months you'll see an offender say you know I just feel terrible about what I did it feels terrible because that emotional body is being revived so in those sort of critical situations that you were talking about Ted you really need to lock it down stabilize it as you would with any d disease if somebody's got uh, is hemorrhaging uh, you have to do surgery right now and get it stopped. And the idea is it, you get the most mileage by preventing that or preparing uh, that you might get into that. So you get your, your brain sort of in the, and your heart in the right place before you enter into those uh, situations. So when I go to, to work with any at-risk population, I make sure I've got my ground first because I know they can hook me if I, if I don't all right. move right into that place myself.
sort of a different question I'd like to ask, if I could, um, Brother Ari. Uh, what is it about your life story, your personal life story, that has motivated you to do this work, which is your passion today? I'm sure it must be a very rich life story. Well, I've been really fortunate, fortunate Jamal, in having uh, a lot of things happen in my life that have been interesting. Some of them were quite difficult. Other, others weren't. And one of the... Um, uh, threads in my life has been the theme of violence. My family was a military family. I was going to uh, become a fighter pilot and uh, uh, really trained for that since I was five years old to, to, to fly. And I, I love the idea of flying. Uh, my father had been a, a highly decorated uh, veteran of World War II. There's a famous photograph of a GI frying an egg on the tank, on the skin of a tank when they were training in the Mojave Desert as a joke with the eggshells out. It was so hot. That's my father, mm-hmm. and that's in the American War College. And he was very severely injured in World War II. And, of course, he brought the war home. I remember in high school somebody asking, well, does anybody know when World War II ended? And, and, and very snidely I responded, uh, for whom? I still, we're still fighting it in my house. <laughs> and and um, I was very um, impressed at what had happened to him. Plus, coming out of a tradition, a lot of the tradition in my family is Irish, which has experienced quite a bit of violence. And um, so that that really got me interested. And then the uh, death of people that were close to me uh, by violent death, uh, I got to a point where I just said, um, that's it. <laughs> I better do something about this. And I, ha- I had an experience with my dad when he died. Um, he was at Providence Hospital here in Seattle, and I came up to his room. He was 54 years old when he died. And he was pulling the IV tubes out. And I said, if I catch you doing this again, I'm going to have you put in restraints. And he hissed at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he still scared me, even though he, he must have weighed about 90 pounds. And he said, um, any man who would do to his children what I did to you should die painfully and slowly. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Uh, I thought, I said to him, any man that has had seen such horror as you've seen, uh, is going to die in comfort and go back into the arms of the thing that created him. Mm. And that's that. And he wept. I'd never seen him weep before. And he said, you know, this has been going on for a long time in our family. And I said, I thought it had. And he said, yeah, since the hunger at least. The hunger is the Irish famine and that began in, in the fall of 1845. Mm. And he said, somebody ought to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And I said, you go ahead and die. I'll take care of this. Mm and really committed myself uh, to that uh, then. Knowing that I had this poisonous inheritance and uh, knowing that um, I need to answer the question, what do you do with it? And I certainly can't get rid of it. It's there. And I think the answer is, is you turn it. And there have been examples throughout history. Uh, one of the most uh, striking ones certainly is the example of Jesus on the cross where he's, you know, it's pretty bad way to die and instead of saying you know here's this jewish fellow being executed by a roman army instead of saying you know do you know who i am you guys are all in big trouble i'm going to call in an airstrike you know he he had so much power i'm just amazed by the amount of power where he said uh, they don't know what they're doing and uh, they need forgiveness i thought boy that'd really be cool if i could even just hold that as a light in the distance for myself and and do it. So that whole history of the, the background with that, I had an older brother who spent time in prison, just got off parole in June. 
um, a younger brother who was in Vietnam as a medic, and uh, so we had quite a quite a batch of that uh, come up. So uh, I'm very vested in seeing it, uh, and because I've seen its very ugly side, and I've not liked it. Well, thank you for sharing. As we said earlier, that, that wonderful verse, uh, he who tastes knows. So you really have that heart knowledge. Thank you. I think our work has a vibrance <clears throat> when it comes out of our own experience and out of our own needs. And when we connect with that which we have come to do. Yes. And sometimes it takes a lot to get us to remember what we came to do. And for some of us, it's more gentle. We'll continue talking our conversation with Ari Cowan about violence, its causes, and its cures. When we come back from this will be our final break this afternoon. Again, uh, we encourage you to listen to our sponsors. Find out who allows us to talk to you each Monday afternoon. This is Interfaith Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. All I have to do is sit alone and cry In our little cabin home on the hill is your beauty salon. Mode Organic Salon is Seattle's premier organic beauty salon. Our trained professionals specialize in providing organic and natural hair, skin, nail, and cosmetic services customized to your specific attributes and lifestyle. Visit modeorganic.com or call 206-623-0195 to schedule. Mention the Dr. Pat Show and get 15% off your first service. For beauty that's more than skin deep, visit Mode Organic Salon. Okay, hey everyone, listen up. Dr. Pat brings you her favorite organic wines from the Organic Wine Company, direct to you for this limited time special offer. Would you like to enjoy the luscious taste of natural grapes grown with love for the land and tantalizing your taste buds at the same time? Well, Dr. Pat has selected three of her favorite wines for only $49, a 40% savings. Visit www.thedrpatshow.com and click on Dr. Pat's Picks for this special offer. Or you can call one 888 326-9463. Hi, this is Dr. Scott Lynch from Crown Hill Chiropractic. Starting Wednesday, November 22nd, we are offering a special promotion for the Dr. Pat listeners where you can go into an office near you and have a complimentary, i.e. free, wellness checkup for your child. Call me at 206-782-8800 or email me at info at crownhillchiropractic.com for an office near you. This offer has been extended to the end of the year, so don't wait. Call Dr. Scott Lynch today. Hey, Julie, where have you been? Benny, I just returned from a fabulous seminar with Karen Ramsey, learning about how my relationship to money is holding me back from living the life I want. Well, I can't seem to save enough money to contribute to an IRA these days, but I think, you know, it's just too late to start now. Well, Benny, I see that you just bought yourself a latte this morning, and how many times a day do you do that? Uh, well, I'd say like two or three times a day, but I mean, seriously, what's your point, Julie? If you save the money you spend on just one latte a day, you'd easily be able to contribute $1,400 dollars a year to your IRA. No kidding. Huh, I never thought about it that way. Well, Karen Ramsey says it's never too late to start no matter where you are. And the sooner you start, the better. Well, you know, that's fine with people with money, but how can someone like me afford financial advice from someone like Karen Ramsey? Well, you don't need to be wealthy to get excellent financial advice. In fact, why not tune into her new show beginning October 12th and learn about the myths about money that keep us from living the lives we're meant to live. And visit her on the web at caringmoney.com. That's caring 
Saving-Money.com. Following the herd is fine until they lead you off a cliff. Think for yourself. Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. And Don and his group, Pastor Don and his group, are leading us back to our the final segment of our Interfaith Talk radio show on this Monday afternoon. We're sitting here. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie. And we're talking with Ari Cowan, who has been actively examining the root causes of violence and ways of responding to violence in effective ways. And Ari, I'd like to invite you to share a little bit about some of the successes you've had. I know that you've done violence programs uh, in prisons. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we, there's, there are a couple of areas that are, are notable. We've worked in schools a lot and done demonstration projects. Uh, a couple of years ago, about two years ago, uh, the Institute for Village Studies took high school kids over on the India-Pakistan border where they have Muslims, Hindus, and Sikhs, and uh, applied this model. That is, high school kids were teaching this model, and the report report I got back was that it was um, very effective in this region between Lahore in Pakistan and Amritsar in India. And uh, they saw really very spectacular results. And I thought, well, there's no research component in that, so there may be a bit of idealism in this. So... uh, a year ago in December, uh, the Clallam Bay Corrections Center, which is a level five maximum security prison, which is part of the Washington State Department of Corrections, decided to do a demonstration of the model prior to us doing a large um, pilot project for them that uh, would be researched uh, by the university. And what they did, they have 900 defenders there, and they are the 900 most violent people they can catch in the state. And they... Uh, Uh, 63.6% of those offenders have been convicted directly for a violent crime and been sent there. And they have about 200 violent incidents a month among those 900 offenders. And that ranges from from, uh, violent assaults and forcible rapes and intimidation and so forth. So they decided they would try and do a week without violence at this maximum security prison, which I thought was a little bit... um, uh, optimistic, in fact, very optimistic. And I was looking for a 2.5 to 5% reduction. I'm the theorist. I should know this stuff, okay? So they applied this model in that environment, and then they had the uh, uh, results validated. And the results weren't 2.5 to 5%. They had a 100% reduction in the violence. All the violence stopped, despite the fact that they only trained 300 offenders. They trained all the staff, but only 300 of the 900 offenders showed up for the training. So it introduced into my uh, theoretical thinking the issue of critical mass, which I hadn't counted on. So they had a 100% reduction in violence. I don't think that's ever happened in any maximum security prison anywhere in the world that I've ever heard of. They had a 100% reduction in referrals to the IMU. The IMU is the intensive management unit. We always hear it in movies as the whole, where they put people who are violent people who are at risk of committing violence, or people who are at risk of having violence done to them. Plus, they logged a 100% reduction in confrontations there, which is where they they log when there are threats or anything else, which are are quite common. 
And when I heard this, I was completely stunned. I'd been told I'd better sit down before I hear it. And when I um, talked to the associate superintendent up there, uh, John Aldana, I said, you mean to tell me this went on for a week? We gave them no sustainability components. Uh, we haven't finished the program. This is just the beginnings. And he said, oh, yeah, well, that's the other part is it went on for nearly three weeks. Mm. And after that, we began talking to people who uh, work with the U.S. Department of Justice and the World Health Organization. So we moved over into this new theory, moved over into being a- an evidence-based theory, which has driven all this uh, interest in this. Uh, one of the things that... Um, uh, John Aldana pointed out that he heard most common among the uniformed officers was that the offenders ha- were very courteous. Now, I have been up to Clallam Bay, and courteous wouldn't be the term I would use. Frightening, maybe. Courteous, not. But apparently this really uh, uh, really was effective in that environment. What's happened since then there? Well, they've had, uh, it's it's begun to pick up again because they changed the population and we have no sustainable elements. Right. So what we'll do in our uh, pilot project is have a program where people, when they're brought into the system, go through this, they're then introduced into a population that's fully trained and then we'll add all this, uh, uh, the sustainability components. So we're, I mean, if we could get a 10% reduction, uh, the people of the state of Washington, for every dollar that they spend on this, they would get $91 back and reduce costs for um, incarceration and, and uh, injury and all that kind of thing. So I'm still having a hard time with the 100% part. It just does, doesn't make any sense to me that it would all go away. But it, it, it's uh, apparently what uh, happened up there. So we may be on to something that's much more potent than we originally thought it, we, we were on to. Mm. All right, does this uh, suggest, I mean, obviously it suggests some things for the way we deal with people who break laws and so forth, but what about even beyond that in terms of the way nations deal with each other and so forth? I mean, there's, I mean, what I'm hearing is that there's training that's positive in terms of changing our ways of thinking and our habits that could actually affect whether or not we chose to go to war. Exactly. I, Don, I think you're right on the mark. The implications of certainly what happened uh, on the India-Pakistan border, which showed that the model wasn't uh, culturally limited. And then the results of Clallam Bay uh, suggest that uh, this could impact how we plan, how we describe what's going on. We, we'd go into a place like Iraq and say, well, what are the risk factors for that population? What does it take to triage and stabilize that patient. Uh, and your whole outlook uh, shifts from the punitive, that sort of load you add to it, and, and your policy becomes more clear because you can actually map. We have a thing called a risk resiliency map that's software. We can map how this malignancy moves. Now, in the United States, we spend $436 billion to defend ourselves against worldwide violence. Plus, we spend another $507 billion for uh, crime. This just adds up to uh, just under $1 trillion a year. And imagine what the rest of the world is spending just on the money part, much less all the other parts. So in terms of being able to address the issue of power and control between nations and so on, the implications are fairly stunning. But Ari, can you uh, suggest one insight or practice for our listeners that they could use uh, to do with themselves that would really help on this path? I, I, Jamal, I think there's one that I hear about all the time that people uh, really get is to separate the, the act of violence from the person. 
and see it as a disease rather than a failing of, of character or anything else. Uh, what we teach is that, uh, that we are, in fact, human beings. We're not human doings and human havings. And so the language we change, so when somebody says, uh, I'm violent, we correct them and say, well, we don't think you're any more violent than you are a head cold. You've got violence. And by separating out that malignancy, I asked one of the girls who had gone over in the India-Pakistan border, and I said, what was the trick you used? And she said, oh, I just told them they did have enemies. It just wasn't each other. It was this malignancy that was feeding on them. Interesting how they were dying and being injured, and it was just getting stronger. And they got very irritated at it. And I thought that was pretty brilliant on her part. So the idea of seeing this as a malignancy that has hold of someone, and your job is not to get even, get back, or anything, but to free this up because it can spread. And it's, it's very uh, infectious. It's also very highly addictive. And so the thing is to, to stop the spread. And so when people look at kids acting out in school or any of that uh, as not being those actions, but being the person who has those actions, their attitude changes. And the, like children's school often say, uh, I'm not sure what just happened about why everything's starting to work. Well, because we're trying to get power to them. Beautiful. Ari, uh, Ari we're talking to Ari Cowan, who is the founder and president of Edvita Institute, originator of the Violence Integrative Prevention and Restoration Model, which is PAR, um, working against violence. How do people who are listening find out more about you and your program? Well, there are two ways. Uh, about my work individually, they can just go to my website, which is Ari Cowan. Dot net a r i c o w a n dot net and then the work of Edvita is at on the web at Edvita dot net that's e d like an education v i t a like life dot net and you'll see the curricula and so on uh, up there and we'll soon be coming out with uh, power parenting your teenager program where we're where it's going to be our first uh, sort of consumer uh, product to help uh, train kids to use power. Uh, in, in a healthy way, and that, that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. They can also call us uh, toll-free in the United States at uh, 866-957-0899. And we're located here in the northwest in Bellevue, just near Overlake Hospital. It's great. Ari, on behalf of all of us and our listeners, I'd like to thank you very much for sharing this pleasure. hour with us. This is exactly the purpose for which this radio show is created we together from interfaith perspectives are looking at the nature of human being and the difficulty we have in remembering the divine being that seeks to awaken through us and time and time again we recognize how we get caught up in our lesser selves, in our exclusive selves, and forget our connections. And your work is a work that helps us remember, and we are all grateful. For all of those of you who are listening and helping yourselves remember, may this be a week of remembering. We'll see you next week at this time. This is Interfaith Talk Radio.